0: Welcome to Interplay Conversations and in Music. This is your host, Michael Shapiro. Today my wonderful guest is cellist Maya Beiser. So good to see you, Maya.
1: Wonderful to see you, Michael.
0: Thank you so much. You know, Maya, y- you have been dubbed so many different things, names, I should say, or descriptions in the press, which I, I have to, ex- to mention them. I hope you don't blush too much. <laughs> the, reigning queen, the reigning queen of avant-garde cello, a force of nature, a license to kill instrument. Uh, what do you think of all that?
1: Uh, you know, you can't pay too much attention to those things. Um, I mean, people come up with all kinds of, of descriptions. Um it's okay. <laughs> I don't. I try not to. Um, I try not to put to, too much weight into into either, you know, praises or, or otherwise. Um, I mean, if, if it's if it's criticism, I, I usually do listen because I fi- I find that that's something that um, I can learn from. But praises, you know, you don't really learn much from.
0: <laughs> I agree. And also negative, I'm not sure what exists today because there's not much, a constri- there's not so much criticism anymore, few papers really, have any no. of it. No, no, there, there's,
1: there's very little, there's very
0: little. There's very little and it's mostly feature articles these days or interviews and I'm so glad to be interviewing and talking to you. I call this a conversation, not an interview. For so many years, you have created projects, let us say, um, which have been attached to multimedia events often there's a great deal of video online there's also a, uh, not only your website uh but also on youtube and other platforms mm-hmm. you've done ted talks with multi images and sounds uh, about eight nine years ago of you playing cello live to yourself in many other iterations behind you but there are also videos of you playing in nature, of you playing with orchestra, like the David Bowie symphonic works that Evan Zipperin arranged, or you know, you're playing with dancers. So you made a decision quite early on from my watching you all these years and listening that it was not just Maya going to Tacoma to play the Elgar Concerto, but not that there's anything wrong with the Elgar Concerto, but you made a decision quite a number of years ago to go down a different path, not only with Bang on the Can All Stars, but which you helped found, but a lot of different things. So my question to you is, what has drawn you to this very, very varied life?
1: (sighs) Huh. um let's see how do i answer it in a succinct kind of way because it's, a, it's a you lot- don't need
0: to be succinct
1: <laughs> there's, a lot, there's a lot to say but you know i mean i think that i was um born with um a sense of a quest of, of a sort and um you know, before we started the official interview, we spoke a little bit about about our background and, you know, maybe it would be good to 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 give you a sense of what my background is, which is, such a, you know, and so I was born in a kibbutz in, in uh, Israel, in the Galilee. It was um, a socialist kibbutz, um, very left leaning. Um, we were very much. um in connection with all the different Arab groups that that surrounded our kibbutz and my father, who was uh, get this, he was a, a, a gaucho, a Jewish gaucho from Argentina, <laughs> who <laughs> who um, moved to Israel, you know, was became a socialist communist and moved to Israel to start this kibbutz with a group of Argentinian kids. They were literally kids when they started. Uh, His father came from Russia, from Ukraine. My great-grandfather was a rather famous writer and who lived with Tolstoy. And, um, you know, so they came from, a. um, and the other side of the family was lineage of rabbis, Um, you know, all escaped. Uh They all escaped Russia at the turn of the century and uh, followed the Baron Hirsch who bought pieces of lands in the middle of the Pampas in Argentina. Yes, I know and, all about them. Yeah, and brought these guys there and just kind of, and there were a bunch of Jews, intellectual Jews, who knew nothing about land or anything, and they just started this um, this little commune there. Um, and um, But very soon after, you know, my father's sisters and, you know, all moved to Buenos Aires and, you know, started to study and became, um, you know, entrepreneurs or lawyers and the kind of the typical Jewish story. My father was the only one who who moved to Israel and started this kibbutz. And he met my mom because she was his French teacher. My mother's French, but my mother actually, her parents, were both from Poland, from this little uh, shtetl in Poland, both very religious. Um, My grandfather, at the age of 18, uh, rebelled and moved to Spain to fight against Franco. He was an anarchist. And my grandmother was a communist, also from a little shtetl. How did they even get those ideas? I don't know. you know, I think it's just something that runs in our blood. Oh, and
0: they,
1: Yeah, and they went to, and she also uh, went to fight, and they were really fighting uh, against Franco and kind of against each other, but they met in Spain during the Civil War and fell in love and got married. And then when Franco uh, went to power, they had to escape. They escaped through the Pyrenees and found themselves in Albi, uh, in France, where they sort of settled and where my mom was born. Uh, when my mom was three, she, um, the Nazis occupied um, France. Um, and this was the Vichy area. So my grandparents were beca- both became partisans, and they put my mom and her little sister, who was just half a year old, it- in a monastery. Oh she was raised by nuns. Um, after the war you know, she was, they, they got her back. And, um, and my mom ended up, you know, when she was 18, meeting my father and she had me when she was 21. Um, So I came into this world in a very um, strange way. My mom just came to the kibbutz. It was a little Argentinian community, you know, Mm -hmm. and they were learning as they went, you know, it was, it it was a pretty crazy experiment. You know, they, My mom came from from uh, the hospital and put me in a in a baby's house and from there I went to um you know children's house. I never actually slept with my parents. I would only meet my parents in the afternoons for a few hours and i was you know I was a very a very sensitive kid and i so all I remember from my early Years is, is kind of crying and not wanting to go back to the, to the children's home. And oh um, yeah, but, you know, the one interesting thing that happened was that my father, my father had perfect pitch and he sort of, you know, uh, we all, all, all the girls in the family were four girls. I was the oldest, but he, his, his dream was always to, um, to be a musician, which he just, he never had the opportunity to learn. And so he had this uh, record player at home and those few hours in the afternoon, every day that we would, we would meet, that we actually got to spend together. um, The, the activity was listening to music. And so, and I, I spoke about it um, quite a bit. I I did an album a few years ago that I called trans classical, Mm -hmm. which um, was sort of, about this first feeling that I had, that my first memory of what music meant to me, you know, and and, um, and how it, it, music was always connected in, in, in my psyche as, as something that is very transcendent and very beautiful and very peaceful and... And also, you know, just kind of something that hugs you, you know, because it was th- those moments were just so meaningful for me. And so, of course, I didn't, you know, it, it wasn't an intellectualized kind of thing because it was just very, very raw. It was it was pre-verbal even mm-hmm. just that connection that I had to to music. Um, and, you know, in the kibbutz everybody started to play an instrument, which is sort of this wonderful thing because um, Mm. we happened to have a lot of people there who just, you know, there was this great piano teacher, music teacher, and she just wanted everyone to play. And then they, you know, they tested everyone's hearing and they discovered that I had a very good, um, you know, sense of pitch. And so they suggested I play the violin. And... I think, you know, there was as much as there were, there were a lot of magical things in the kibbutz, but from the very moment that I remember thinking about it, I knew that this wasn't the place for me. And I think there was a lot of very traumatic experiences that I had, which really just had to do with the separation with my mother, from my mother, to, you know, not being able to be yeah. with her and, um, and my father. And um, so I knew it, and, and there was this rebellious streak that I had from the mm. very beginning, which was, I wanted um, to find something that was, that was mine or that was, that was really connected to me. So when they suggested the violin, I, you know, I said, no, I, I want to play the cello and I knew. B-
0: before the- you go further, I just want to say one thing. You <laughs> say rebellious streak, which I find interesting because yeah. you're the el- you're the eldest yes. of four daughters right you are the leia in essence the leia the the oldest and usually the leia of the group is so-called not the one that is
1: rebellious i know
0: no it's the opposite so you chose the cello to our delight and then what happened
1: and magic happened you know i um i chose the cello and it wasn't so easy because they said, well, we can't really have you play the cello because we don't have a teacher. We only have a violin ch- teacher. And um, then, you know, I was um, advocating for it. And I said, well, maybe there's another teacher outside of the kibbutz that I could go. And it was mm-hmm. all of a sudden this great opportunity to go to outside. So um, they did find a teacher. And I went in and and I never forget that day. My father... Um, it took me in the bus you know and uh, we didn't even have a cello so the kibbutz didn't have a cello but this
0: how did you know to select cello then
1: well because my father had those beautiful recordings of Pablo Casals and he oh, would the, play it for me the Bach the Bach suites but also some other ones and so I love that I just love something about
0: that. the sound huh
1: yeah and so I knew that I loved that sound, and I loved the fact yeah. that it was big. I was a little girl, and I thought it was so nice to have something that would protect me. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and so um, I went to that to that first lesson, and she, you know, the teacher uh, was just girl who kind of wasn't a community service because you know the we were very far from the center from Tel Aviv two and a half hours north so it,
0: of... it was Tel Aviv where you were studying
1: no it was it was this little um city called the Fula, which I don't know if you're familiar but it's a tiny little city that was the closest city to the kibbutz is about 20 minutes uh and you were so up
0: you were in the Galilee you mentioned yes yes, we were in the yes okay yeah got it okay
1: so we went there it was a community center And, um, she gave me this little toy cello. Um, and I started to, to play. And I, and I remember that she, at first she said, no, you can't use the bow. Um, you just have to, to, to use your left hand. And, and, um, I said, okay. But of course, as soon as I got home, I couldn't help, but starting to play with the bow and things you know evolve from there very quickly because it really was like magic it's like it was like I discovered this world that I didn't know existed and I was just it just made me so happy you know Beautiful. so I just you know passionately practiced and played and and within a year I started to you know I, I learned um Vivaldi concertos and all these kind of things how and,
0: old were you at this point again
1: I was when I started, I was eight Good. years old,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, and my teacher pretty quickly after you know about six months said you know I really think you should study with with, um, with another teacher and you know within a year I um, I started to study with this other teacher and then and then moved to to um, the teacher who was sort of the the most. You know, important teacher in Israel. His name was Uzi Vizel. He he passed away a few years ago. Um, and by the time I was twelve, I was discovered by Isaac Stern, right?
0: Um,
1: who came, who used to come to Israel to kind of, um, you know, mentor. Uh, kids. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. So I was, um, and then I became. Um, you know I mean he very much became my mentor throughout my whole adolescent years and wonderful. Um, which was really really a wonderful a wonderful thing and it was not easy um the kibbutz I had to fight um a lot to kind of have them allow me to even go to certain things and you mm-hmm. know it, it was difficult it was difficult to um to carve my way, but it was a good Understood. it was a good, it was a good thing. But I'm telling you all of this because I think that one of the um, experience that, experiences that I had as, as an artist, and, and there were, I had so many different kind of, I guess, evolution, mm-hmm. but I discovered that for me, it's, it's very important to... Um, it's not about, you know, it's not about resistance. I believe in resistance in a political sense. And, and, and you know, but I don't, it's, I think in, in art, it's about, um. it's about flow. I mean, I guess I, I like to, I like to call it flow and I think about it a lot. And, you know, I think about it a lot now mm-hmm. in the context of everything that happened to us during COVID, yes. which is, you know, it's like, Putting yourself like imagine that you're on a river, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 you're you're, if you're allowing yourself to kind of flow with with the river, but then but then you carve certain ways as you go, and you kind of discover something, and then you kind of take a, another route, and then you go. So it's not for me. It was never about. Negating or um, or denouncing, you know, tradition, but it was about not accepting conventions. Of course, yeah, I agree. Does that make sense, Michael? So, so, totally. So all the work that I've done, it was just, I think, is part of this, um, you know, life that I'm trying to lead, which has to do with just. Allowing myself to 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 be open to whatever it is that that you know um, is calling for, and so all these things that have to do with whether it's video, whether it's dance, or whether it's um, so many other things. For me, music is is kind of you know it's 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 uh, it's an avenue, and or you know I don't know it's a river you know that takes you to all these
0: understood. Places. Okay, so. I know, no, it's very good. Thank you for the background. It is illuminating. I do wanna ask you a question and a thought um, about, I know you uh, about a year ago, was it a Jacob's Pillow, you introduced the day.
1: Yes.
0: With the choreographed by Lucinda Childs with Wendy Whelan dancing. And I did see that there was a tour that was planned but I don't know how much of that was interrupted by the pestilence. Talk briefly about the day. And then also I'd like to hear in, a, in using your vision and this flow that you talk about, it's a wonderful metaphor about where are you going out of this Yeah. once we're out of this? I just learned I'm gonna get a vaccine next week. I'm very delighted about it.
1: Congratulations. <laughs> Mazel tov to, to yeah. me. Yeah.
0: But you know, it's a matter, it's a matter of age. But for you, you know, the day. Talk briefly about what the day was, but then and sh- well, and will be. But also, what's next for you coming out of this experience?
1: Yeah. So the day was was a project that started actually with September eleven. It was, um, mm. you know, it started with this commission. Uh, Carnegie Hall commissioned me to do um, to do a full right. evening, um, and one of the. Composers that I decided to commission as part of this project was David Lang, my dear friend, with whom you know um, right. I spent many years in Bangor, and Cannes. We started to work on this piece, and September 11 happened. So this piece, which was a piece for a multi-track cello and voice as well, I sing in it, and, and um, it's it's really a remarkable piece that David wrote. Um, so that piece became. Um, One of the most grounding pieces for me throughout many years that I've been, I've performed it a lot. And after several years, about 10 years that I did it, I did it. I asked David if he would write a companion piece to it so we can create a whole evening. And and, um, we decided that David would write a prequel uh, to World to Come. So World to Come, as Mm -hmm. you probably know, Michael, it's the idea of which is which is the Mm -hmm. notion of life after death.
0: There's very little in our tradition about life after death you know That's that right. very right. little
1: I know and 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 but so this piece is, is very it's you know it has a metaphor but the metaphor is that this you know the voice tries to separate from the body which is kind of what you know we believe happens after you die that the, the that the soul separates from the body so the, and and then at the end they reunite in in the work. Uh, but so the day became this piece about um, who are all these people? You know, it's like the idea that there were like two thousand plus people who just disappeared from one moment to the next and okay. and this idea of just holding on to this one memory that you know, that is it's just one thing that happens. That you you know that that is worth holding on to, and that might be the one memory that you have just before you die. Yeah, yeah, you know? and, I understand. And and it's not trying to be, and so it's from the profound to the mundane. And so there is there is this um, text that goes through the whole piece, which was um, which was uh, sourced from the internet, actually. Mm-hmm. So it's all these different people that responded to the question of "I remember the day that." And, um, you know,
0: well, I was, I was there, <laughs> by oh. the way, oh. I was, I was downtown when it happened.
1: Where are you? Yeah.
0: I, I was, was right. You were there too. Yeah. I was there in Battery Park. Oh. I have to say, I'm going to be very public on this comment. I don't care. Yeah. I found the John Adams piece based on this to be vulgar and not to be attentive to the tragedy and the epic tragedy of the day. I thought yeah. it was opp- opportunistic and, and crude in a way that I was very offended by having uh-huh. lived through the experience.
1: You know, I'm not familiar, familiar the with transmigration the-, oh, called,
0: the Transmigration of Souls. Oh, the Transmigration
1: of Souls.
0: On the Transmigration of Souls. Yeah. I'm being very public in stating that I am, yeah. as you talk about resistance, I'm very resistant to the vulgarity of that piece uh-huh. and the intention. Yeah. How does my good colleague, David Lang, get over that?
1: Well, first of all, you know, we we really we weren't public about about the uh, the fact that it's that it's about 9/11. It was it was kind of a secret, you know, and um, and the piece just it was informed by it because we were working on it during that time right after. But it mm-hmm. wasn't meant to be like, oh, this is a piece about 9/11. You know, mm-hmm. it was more about um, you know, th- this is where we are at this moment. We're both New Yorkers. David lives downtown. I was right there as well. And so this is kind of what comes out of it, us yeah. responding to that moment. Yeah. Um, it's funny. That seems I'm, very sincere. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, but but um, I was thinking <laughs> about, you know, creating a sequel to, uh, this is just kind of a joke, but, but, um, but I, I remember we were performing the day in Paris, we had um, exactly a year ago, actually, today. Well, we started, I think, on the 20th of January, 2020. Right. We had um, 14 shows in Paris. It was just really wonderful a year what ago. What theater
0: was that? It you know, was right?
1: Théâtre de la Ville in Paris. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was one of the first performances that I went back to the hotel and I opened the news and I heard on CNN that there was some weird thing going on in Wuhan and,
0: oh,
1: well, um, <laughs> you know, and and the next day we were talking about it in the theater and, and um, my sound engineer, David, uh, Dave Cook, who is you know phenomenal uh, engineer, and, and he was joking and he said, you know, this is this is going to be the end. Uh, this is this is contagion and and we're all gonna you know worlds. And we were all joking about it and nobody really took it seriously. And, I know. Uh, yeah. yeah. And there you go.
0: Here we are. All right. So let's step off of that if we can yeah. to conclude this very amazing conversation which has flown. <laughs> I have a, uh, to follow up we understand a little bit about the day which sounds beautifully organic yeah and purposeful yeah and flowing
1: yeah. and
0: i cannot wait to see it and yeah. hear it but now that we've lived through this period and thank god we're hopefully getting to the other side what's next for you what 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 is what, what is in that fertile imagination of yours
1: you know it's it's um... I don't really know, Michael. Um, so I will tell you a little bit about what I went through through this whole period. So yes, yes the day so the day was um, was on this worldwide tour. Um, we, as I said, we were in Paris for for you know we had uh, fourteen performances there. We were there for three weeks. We came back and then we went to San Francisco. We had two shows in San Francisco. Before that, we were at the Kennedy Center. We were here in New York. Uh, we had a whole week here at the Joyce Theater. Uh, we were at UCLA, Royce Hall. I mean, we, we've been all over. Great anything. stuff. Yeah. And we were on the road for, for many more performances. Mm-hmm. Um, I came back from San Francisco at the end of February and, um, and that was pretty much it. And everything started to get canceled. I yeah. had all these, um, you yeah. know, I had a big premiere that was scheduled in, um, in Philadelphia um, at the Annenberg Center. It was a, a new Michael Gordon piece with mm-hmm. the, with the Choir the Crossing. And then we were supposed to be here at Carnegie Hall. Mm-hmm. These are
0: all friends. I know Donald mally yeah. quite well. Oh, yeah. So that, yeah, yeah.
1: So we were supposed to premiere it uh, in Philadelphia, and then and then in Carnegie Hall in March. All I remember,
0: I remember the whole because I was with Donald just the, the exactly. concert before.
1: So everything in, got in canceled. February. Yeah. Yeah. And all the um, my entire season got canceled. Yeah.
0: Um, same. Same. Same here. Yeah. Exactly.
1: <laughs> but you know, I have to say, for me, um, I I I mean, I felt quite fortunate that you know I have a home I have a family um you know I can um I'm not in the street like some of my musician friends
0: terrible stuff
1: yeah so I kind of just felt a call to you know to just be as helpful as I can to my friends and to any all the people that I I knew that were having a lot of issues and I didn't really feel terribly sorry about oh you know I can't perform anymore and in a strange way you know again and I think that comes back to the idea of flow you know of how we kind of need to I think not accept where we are but but go with where where it is and, and sort of move.
0: Maya let me ask you something. When it first hit I well I got sick right away but I spoke yeah. to to Jimmy Galway and to Yvonne Fisher by the way on this program yeah and they were not the only two who mentioned this to me but they had a period of what they called lethargy where they could not do anything where they were so struck down emotionally by what was going on Mm -hmm. and the fact that they had been in this life for decades of constant motion and study and motion and study and motion study that finally boom curtain comes down no movement you're saying you did not feel this lethargy did you
1: You know, I, no, I did feel, it was hard. I didn't touch the cello for a while, that I can tell you. So yes, there was this sense of, okay, um, you're here, you're surrounding me, but I'm not really. um,
0: Gabriela Montero, Simona Dinnerstein did not touch it for weeks.
1: Yeah, so I did.
0: What is that telling you? I've just mentioned these four wonderful uh, musicians who are friends of ours, and and this is true of many others. What is it in us, for my final talk to you about this tonight, what is it in us, this life force, that at least for a brief period of time was pushed down? What happened?
1: You know, I think that we just get very, I think that there are several things. First of all, I think that, which is why I, I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing. Because I think we tend, humans, but I think it's true in nature also, we tend to go into some sort of, um, you know, inertia.
0: And, Hibernation.
1: Well, but also we just, we're on some sort of path, right? Mm-hmm. And we start believing that this is the only path that exists. Yeah, I and know. so we put everything in it. And then when it, when it stops you know, um, it's, it's very, it's, it's, it's a shock, you know, there's a certain shock. I mean, I'm so used to travel, you know, I, i I'm spent half of my year on the road, um, which is something that I cherished and loved, you know, and all of a sudden I'm here in this house for almost a year now, you know, um, it's a very strange thing. And I realized that, you know, I haven't actually spent that amount of time with my life partner, you know, and, 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 and my dog and, and uh, you know, for that. So it's, it's a very, yeah. So I think that, um, I don't think that it says much about the artistic instincts. I just think that there's certain events in life that are just so big and and momentous where, you know, the entire kind of, you know, humanity is sort of on pause in a way, mm-hmm. right? So, that it takes us a while to adjust and to sort of find our bearings.
0: So I know that after the initial lethargy, in my case, grave sickness and recovery, I then had an explosion of creativity. I withheld something and then boom, out it came. So I know based on what you have done all these years, a lot of it very visible to see and hear online, and hopefully, God willing, as we say in Ivrit Baruch Hashem, that we will come to a time soon that we can hear the artistry of Maya (laughs) Baiza live, where it is intended to be partially. It's also intended to be in video as well. So Maya, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Michael. It was such a pleasure talking to you.
0: It's wonderful that Maya Baiza's greatest cellist is with (laughs) us today, who means so much to so many of us who are creating music every day. So Maya Baiza, be well. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you. You be well as well.
0: Thank you. This is Michael Shapiro for Interplay, your host, Conversations in Music. Thank you for joining us.